Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. So Swami, we've been doing a lot of traveling. We, uh, yeah. we just got back from Essentials in Las Vegas. I had never been to Las Vegas before. And? Uh, love it, obviously, going to be going back. <laughs> yeah, so this is your first Essentials. First Essentials. What do you think? Beautiful. Well, I'm a showman, so I appreciate some good, high-quality speakers and, and uh, good content. So I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, hopefully what you noticed is we've stolen a lot of those ideas from Essentials and tried to bring them to our conference, the short talks, the, the hard-hitting facts. Like, I think that the way that they've done Essentials is really kind of revolutionary, and a lot of people have taken that and kind of run with it, but they still do it better than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think we, I think that bringing those techniques into our conference has really changed the quality of the the speaks uh, of the of the talks that our residents are doing. And I think it's fantastic. And then, uh, so yes, and then so we just did Las Vegas, and then coming up pretty soon, we're going to Dublin, which I love. I love Dublin so much for Smack. Yeah, I'm excited. I have never been to Dublin, so I am pretty psyched about that, and definitely psyched about Smack. Last year, I had a very short trip to Smack. I was there for about. 24 hours and then I you know left to help in the birthing of a child um, ah, well that's important yeah I mean I'm not sure how much I actually helped but I was there I was in Just the room. coaching some moral support that's right moral support driving Ice the other chips, children back like and that. forth yeah right right <laughs> so yeah Dublin is going to be amazing and we will definitely give the Corey M listeners an update on smack after we get back so we can chat a little bit about that great all right so what are we going to talk about today well, so we've been on our talks blocking conference those, these last couple of weeks, and we haven't really covered any toxicology, which is totally a faux pas for Bellevue since we're the toxicology capital of the universe or something. So uh, I thought we could drop into a little discussion of anticholinergic poisoning, one of those classic toxidromes that we should all know. I love this topic. You know, we were taught about anticholinergic poisoning and all these classic toxidromes in med school, but I don't think we see it often enough to have complete comfort with diagnosis or management. So let's drop in, Jenny. How are these patients going to present, the ones with the anticholinergic poisoning? So they're going to have the classic mad as a hatter, blind as a bat, red as a beet, hot as a hair, and dry as a bone syndrome that we've been taught. So these patients are going to be altered. They're going to have an elevated core temp. They'll have flushed skin, dilated pupils, decreased bowel sounds, urinary tension, and they'll be dry, just totally dry, no sweating at all. Yeah, the sweating thing is key. We joke around about this, but this is a place where we need to perform the tox handshake. The what? The tox handshake. You know, the ungloved hand in the armpit? In anticholinergic patients, that axilla is going to be bone dry, completely dry, not even a drop of sweat, which is clearly a red flag in a patient who is hot and agitated if they're not sweating at all. That's, that's definitely strange. That is totally gross, but it's useful. I, I, I get learned the it from the boss. I learned it from Dr. Goldfrank himself. You know, I love watching the toxicologists do their physical exam. It's so, they, you know, they have it down to the system and they do the same thing every time. And it's, it's really pretty cool. It's, yeah, it's, it's smart. We have a lot to learn from that. Absolutely. So there are a number of precipitants of this toxidrome, but the one we see most commonly is diphenhydramine. We'll drop a table in the show notes with a list of the other medications, but that list includes medications like atropine, scopolamine, and meclizine. 
Pathophysiology-wise, these agents act on the muscarinic receptors leading to their effects. They block the effects of acetylcholine at the receptors, but don't affect the nicotinic receptors. All right, so typical scenario, patient presents after downing a handful of over-the-counter sleeping pills, and they're agitated, confused, hyperthermic, tachycardic, and your tox handshake reveals dry armpits. So what are the initial steps in management? We're going to start with general supportive care. Get in an IV, place the patient on a cardiac monitor, get a finger stick to quickly eliminate hypoglycemia, although it seems pretty unlikely in this particular scenario, and get a 12-lead ECG, and then we're going to have to sedate the patient a little bit. Yeah, these patients can be pretty agitated and they can be really difficult to control sometimes. Uh, how would you manage that up front? So I would start with basic chemical sedation using benzodiazepines. If you can get IV access, I would give them midazolam or Valium. If you can't get the IV access, I am midazolam is pretty quick to act. The pitfall here is to put the patient in physical restraints because all that psychomotor agitation can lead to a feed-forward mechanism. The restraints worsen the agitation, which worsens the hyperthermia, which worsens the agitation, and so on. If you allow this spiral, eventually you get the common pathway of all toxicology. Right. Seizure, coma, death. Bad, bad, bad. Got to avoid that. So start with benzos and then titrate as needed to get control of the patient. Are there diagnostic tests we should be getting to? Well, there's no real diphenhydramine level or anticholinergic level. The real test that you need to do is to get as much collateral information as you can if you can determine what the patient may have overdosed on. It's useful to check some labs for complications of the hyperthermia, so things like rhabdomyolysis, acute renal or hepatic failure, and the ECG is going to be really important to get as soon as we can. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. What are we looking for in the ECG? the ECG isn't going to give you a diagnosis of an anticholinergic toxidrome. That's going to be from your history and more from the physical. But the ECG can help to eliminate other causes. So tricyclic antidepressants, pretty uncommon in our population now, can cause an anticholinergic toxidrome and overdose, but you're also likely to see some ECG changes. Of course. This is the classic terminal R in an AVR, an R wave in lead AVR that's greater than three millimeters. You can also see some QRS widening. These changes come from the sodium channel blocking effects of the TCAs, but you can see this as well with diphenhydramine, right? Absolutely. So diphenhydramine has sodium channel blocking effects as well, and in large overdoses, you can see these effects on the ECG. All right. So we can use the ECG to get a tip off about a TCA overdose. But why does knowing this matter? Well, we've discussed supportive care of the anticholinergic toxidrome, but we haven't discussed the antidote, which is physostigmine. Now, physostigmine is a carbamate that reversibly inhibits cholinesterases, both in the periphery and the CNS. It rapidly reverses the anticholinergic toxidrome. Sounds pretty great, but I'm guessing there's going to be a catch. Oh, there's always a catch. Nothing's ever that simple. The problem is that you shouldn't give physostigmine to patients with a TCA overdose as the cause of their anticholinergic symptoms. Case reports from the 80s detailed patients who got physo after a TCA overdose and became asystolic, which is, of course, bad. Bad. Yeah, bad. Real bad. Now, these are just case reports, but often in toxicology, case reports are all we have to guide management. You can't randomize patients to get the antidote versus not getting the antidote. Even if physosigmine doesn't cause asystole, it's not going to fix the TCA overdose. So there's no reason to apply the drug here and take the risk. I think we're going to have to get a tox person on and do a podcast on TCA overdose to flesh this all out. 
But for now, let's refocus on that diphenhydramine overdose. I've given some benzos and the patient is a little more calm. There's no report of a TCA and the ECG just shows some mild sinus tachycardia. Can we use the physostigmine here? Absolutely. In a clear anticholinergic case like this one, without signs of other issues, the antidote can be safely used. So if you've got a good story of what the patient took and they appear to be anticholinergic when you see them, physo seems like a pretty reasonable thing to do. One caveat I would bring up is that since we don't do this very often, it's a good place to get a toxicologist on board. Call your local poison center and see if they can help you. And they're going to know the dosing. They're going to know the caveats of using the drug, when not to, when to use it. They're going to be really helpful in these scenarios. But if benzos are so good at sedating the patient, why would we bother with the physostigmine at all? Ah, this is a good question, right? This is uh, better being the enemy of good. So physostigmine plays a role both diagnostically as well as therapeutically. So let's revisit our case. We've got a young patient who comes in with altered mental status and an elevated temperature. What does that sound like to you? Meningitis. Exactly. While it's easy to simply say the patient took too many sleeping pills, we don't know that for sure. As a result, many of these anticholinergic toxidrome patients end up with a non-con head CT and an LP, which is really a very reasonable approach. The physostigmine, though, can help to avoid this. So if we give the physostigmine and the patient's symptoms improve, particularly the altered mental status and the pupil findings, we've clinched our diagnosis. Additionally, there's a therapeutic benefit as well. We probably wouldn't need as many benzos for sedation since the patient can return to a baseline mental status. Absolutely. Now, the drug isn't perfect. It's got its own issues. If you give too much, you can push the person into a cholinergic state. So we all remember is basically just the opposite of the anticholinergic toxidrome. Salivation, lacrimation, urinary incontinence, diarrhea, and emesis, or sludge, as well as, of course, the killer bees, bradycardia, bronchorrhea, and bronchospasm. Bad, bad, bad. Exactly. Additionally, physostigmine's effects are fairly short-lived, probably about 60 to 90 minutes. So the drug's going to wear off and the patient's anticholinergic toxidrome is going to reappear. Now, this may necessitate redosing. Okay, so let's talk about dosing a little bit here. The typical dose in adults is 1 to 2 milligrams, and in kids, it's 0.02 milligrams per kilogram to a max of 0.5 milligrams. This is given IV over five minutes. You do not want to push this drug fast, okay? You can repeat the dose in 10 to 15 minutes if you don't get an adequate response. Now, I know I said before, but I definitely implore you once again to get a toxicologist on the phone to help make the decision to give the FISO as well as the dosing since we don't do it that often. I've given this drug a couple of times in patients with clear anticholinergic toxidromes with a good, clear history, and it really is a wondrous medication. The patient rapidly improves, they can give you a clear history often, and you've saved yourself and, more importantly, the patient from the non-con head CT and the lumbar puncture. One last thing before we wrap this up is that if you're going to give physostigmine, have its antidote close at hand, and that's going to be atropine. All right, Jen, you want to take us home with some take-home points? Let's do it. So first, in anticholinergic poisoning, patients are going to be altered. They're going to have high core temperature, flushed skin, dilated pupils, decreased bowel sounds, urinary retention, and dry. No sweating. Fingers in the armpits, people. Second, be cautious about physical restraints as they may worsen the patient's agitation, which will then worsen the patient's temperature, and then you're going to get into this downward spiral towards seizure coma death. So be careful with that and just use benzos if needed for sedation. And then last, the antidote for anticholinergic poisoning is physostigmine. 
if given to a patient with a TCA on board, it can precipitate asystole. This has been reported in some case reports, and that's bad. So make sure you take a good history and check the ECG for evidence of TCA. Remember the terminal R wave in AVR and maybe some QRS widening. And since this medication is not one that we give very often, get your local toxicologist on board to help you out. I've done this once, and it makes them very happy. Yeah, they get super excited about using antidotes, especially physostigmine. All right, so that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up this Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Visit us on Facebook and like us if you like the site. Visit our Google Plus page and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at core underscore EM. If you've got a couple of minutes, come on over to iTunes and give us a review on the podcast. If there are things you like, let us know. If there are things you don't like, even more importantly, let us know because we'll take them into account and we'll try and change things. Thanks, and see you all next week.